Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? I'm in denial, Kate. I'm in yeah. some deep, deep denial. I'm in denial about the fact that our national discourse has been reduced to a telenovela plot. Mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm in denial that starting next week, we will no longer have podcast episodes that only run for 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's been nice. It's, yeah, been, it's been really great. nice. Yeah. yeah. We should really try and do that next week. Yeah, well, we we'll won't see. be able to. We'll see what but. we can do, listeners. Uh, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but we've had a distinct shift in how we approach some of this stuff as we do more season spotlights, um, just due to the scheduling of not being able to really have guests on the way that we used to. And so using season spotlights, which means that we don't check in when we, like, it's been a while for Winona Earp. We don't have anything new to say. So, yeah. you know, that way, instead of just saying the same things every week, we can have a more in-depth discussion at the end of the season, uh, which is currently what we're planning, no promises. Um, but what that means then is that our show rundown gets a lot smaller and the actual po- podcast episode itself gets shorter. And I think, I, I mean, I think more interesting. I don't know. I think so. I hope so. I hope so. Please let us know. Let us know, listeners. listeners. Let us know. But yeah, no, it's, it's been, it's been nice focusing on that part of it. But yeah, no, the, uh, man, it's Friday. We listeners were recording on Friday this so week. So Friday. And I just it's so Friday. <laughs> I just I based on the things that have been circling circulating on Twitter before we started to record, uh, I have a feeling that I might turn on Twitter after we've recorded and we've broken the world again, which has happened a couple times. Um so oh, let's see. What did we do? <laughs> we're very sorry. Clearly, you know, we're egocentric enough. We have a podcast. Uh, so we're egocentric enough to think that we're causing this somehow. Um let's dive in with some TV related news cuz that's happier. It's much happier. Um and well, so almost. Almost. Okay. <laughs> well, first the bad news, Dietland has been canceled, um which is, you know, I was very disappointed to see, but I understand. I mean, not very many people were watching it. Yeah. Yeah, no one was watching it, and AMC didn't own it. So, it was, and AMC is very fond of only renewing the shows that they own. Yeah. So. Yeah. But on the other hand, The Deuce uh, has been renewed for a third and final season. I'm not watching uh, for nope. many reasons. A big one of them is is Franco, but um, but I know that some people really enjoy it. So, I'm glad you guys are getting an, another season and enough time to like. For the writers to be ready to to wrap things up and for the viewers to be emotionally prepared. Uh, Greenleaf got picked up for season four. They're only on season three right now? Yeah, right? It feels yeah, like they're doing the half season longer, thing, right? But, yeah, they do the half season thing. So okay. that's probably why they feel like they've been on for a lot longer. I haven't watched any of season three and I don't think I finished season two, which I feel bad about both of these things. Yeah, no, because I got behind and then I haven't been able to catch back up. But I'm glad that it's still on because that yes, cast is so good. And when I was watching it, it was really good. So I'm sure it's still supremely entertaining and a, an excellent actor showcase. But um, yeah. And, yeah. A, and a member of that cast shows up in the third episode of the Murphy Brown revival. And Ooh. she's very good in her couple of scenes. Ah, okay. Well, that's an yeah. excellent tease. Well teased. Also, hashtag yeah. Screener Envy. Um, yep. a, a thing that more people are excited about uh, than me. 
But a lot of people are very excited about this. Ronald Kamars has now officially been picked up for an eight-episode series uh, at Hulu. And Hulu has also picked up all the streaming rights for the rest of the the Ronald Kamars' run. So the TV stuff and also the movie. Um, so that's very exciting for a lot of people. And I will be watching, um, even yeah. if I'm not like mind explodey blown um another right. hulu thing did you see i don't know if you saw this they already put up some screeners for runaway season two they must be very confident about did runaway they, season i don't two. have i don't have hulu um screener access but that's really great i'm glad about that because I, I haven't watched any of it listeners but yeah. um but just normally they when they put screeners when any place makes screeners available months ahead of time like a month ahead of time that's like they're hoping you'll write something and get buzz right but multiple months ahead of time they know you're not going to write anything immediately they just want you to know that's there and so that you are more likely to watch it at your leisure and they yeah. only do that if they're really confident with it so fingers yeah. crossed that's a very and they should positive be pretty sign. confident with it i think so yeah well we yeah. really enjoyed season one certainly yeah. like the way it all came together so we'll see about season two um more tv news we we kind of already knew this was happening but yeah, i guess we it did. got more confirmed like, more confirmed or just sort of like yeah no so jordan peele who was already going to be involved with cbs's all access's twilight zone revival in some capacity is going to be officially hosting it now and yeah i feel like we already knew this i knew he was like involved in the production so i think it yeah. was just he's also going to be hosting and i think all of us sort of went that didn't weren't aware that he was involved just kind of went well, yeah, that just makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'm excited to to see it, but it, like in my head, I can already see <laughs> the Jordan Peele, Keen Peele introduction. You know, so that's yes, going to be yes. hard <laughs> for him to do because they did such an awesome job of that <laughs> in several yes. sketches <laughs> over the course of Keen Peele that like they're going to have to really work to evoke a tone for me to not go to like heightened comedic brilliant uh like parody of rod mm-hmm. serling thing so i'm i'm but i'm looking forward to it anything jordan peele is doing right now i'm I'm certainly looking forward to uh though i'm a little afraid of us right isn't that the, the next horror one he's doing uh i think so yeah i think so because i'm like i'm sure it'll be very interesting but like yeah I, i'm a scaredy cat <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see we'll see um the next one that we have the last uh Big one, I think I, I, it's fair to say, yeah. is Netflix is developing a live action Avatar The Last Airbender. And, mm-hmm. uh, God. yeah. I yeah, mean, like, no, that's the correct response. Like, if it gets people to watch the animated show, then great. And that's sort of the, the tack I'm going to be taking with several friends of the show who have not seen this show that I know would. I mean, I don't know, but I have a very strong reason to suspect they would love this show if they had a reason to set the time aside for it, if they made themselves, like, sit down and actually check it out. And uh, and so hopefully with the live action one coming, that will help, like, motivate them to, to actually check out Avatar The Last Airbender. And when they've checked out that, I think, I feel confident that they will naturally continue on to Korra. Um, but yeah, I like, after the debacle of the movie, I mean... We no one needs this. Nope. But that hasn't stopped plenty of other worthy adaptations. So like nobody needs Mary Poppins too, but that trailer did look damn good. So <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about it? I'm not particularly excited about it. Uh Netflix is developing this in conjunction with DreamWorks Television, which handles a lot of their uh kid targeted 
programming. And more so than anything, this legitimately feels like Netflix is like, look, we'd really like to stream Avatar The Last Airbender, but we don't want to pay for that. We'd much rather own our version of it rather than just license it. And I feel like that 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 this is what this is about more than anything else. Um, <laughs> I'm heartened by the fact that both uh, show creators are going to be on board with this. Okay. Uh, that helps. That fills that fills me with a little bit of confidence. But I'm also just like, but but why would you mess with something already so very good? You don't need to do anything else to it. It's fine. It's, it's not, very good. It's not more valid because there are live action actors. Yeah. That's not, yeah. a, that's just a stupid thing. It's a stupid yeah. opinion. Um, you yeah. guys aren't going to have the money to do the drill. Let's just be very real about this right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, that's very true. Uh, the other thing that is, you know, certainly confidence inspiring is the they already got out in front and said we are not going to whitewash the casting so we'll see what that means because i know there are plenty of fans who have very different interpretations on what that what that should mean and what that could mean so we will Mm -hmm. see but at least you know if they're gonna do it they're saying all the right things and they're involving the right people yeah so there's that Speaking of involving the right people, we had a little casting news this this week, and that is that Jeremy Davies is going to be the villain in the big Arrowverse crossover backdoor Batwoman pilot. And uh, I am of two minds about this. My, okay. my one part of my brain is going, Jeremy Davies, awesome. He's great. He's a terrific, terrific actor. I, he's always supremely watchable, and I, I pretty much always enjoy him when he pops up. And the other part of my brain is going, I really hope he, they just don't have him do the Jeremy Davies twitchy thing because I'm oh, really he's so gonna do the Jeremy Davies. I'm just twitchy so thing. over it. He's a much better actor than that, and I feel like ever since uh, Justified, he's just been cast to do that same thing over and over and over, or he's just choosing to do that same thing over and yeah. over, and it's very boring. Because uh, I, I just always remember back to the contrast between his terrific performance on Lost and his terrific performance on Justified. And it, that that just demonstrating such a terrific range. And then everything I've seen him in since has just been just a twitchier version of what he was doing on Justified. And I just I wish that that he would get back to or he would be cast and and directed to get back to more than just that one twitchy thing that he does so well. Right. And I mean, I'm not super confident that that's going to happen here. Um, he's playing a doctor from Arkham Asylum who yeah. apparently Yeah. Who apparently lures uh the, the trio of heroes involved in the Arrowverse crossover since legends aren't in it this season to Gotham for some nefarious reason. So my bet is that yeah, he's gonna Is he doing he's gonna be kind Scarecrow? of Scarecrow? Like Batman no, begins he... Scarecrow? No, they na- they named his character in the TV line report about it, and I didn't recognize it. But it's not it's not Stephen Cr- it's not Jonathan Crane. Okay. Um. So no, he's not playing Scarecrow. He's just playing some Arkham psychiatrist. Um, yeah, and he's I can not even see playing, the like, Twitch Hugo already Strange either. Right, and he's <laughs> not even playing Hugo Strange. So I don't know quite what they're doing with this, but mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see. They also have like they cast Nora Freeze and uh, Lois Lane like last week. I feel like. 
I feel like we should mention that Bitsy Tulloch will be playing yeah. uh, Lois Lane. Of course, I really appreciated her performance as Juliet on Grimm. It was like mm-hmm. um, immediately something that gave me faith and confidence in the show was what they were doing with that character. And I think part of that is the writing and, and direction. And part of that was the performance by Tulloch, who brought a lot of depth to what in many, many other shows would have been a very one-dimensional, two-dimensional character, I should say. Not a dot, but a line. Um, <laughs> uh, I haven't heard the Nora Freeze casting. Yeah, Nora Freeze is going to be played by Stephen Amell's wife. Oh, okay. I, whose name I forget, but I think I've seen her in some other things. Yeah, and I, I, I can't remember, remember her, her name, name either. Um, I, 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 apologies to this likely very capable actor. We apologize that we only know you in conjunction mm-hmm. with your spouse. Um, but I look forward to seeing what she brings to that role, and I will look up yeah. her name and feel bad about not remembering it as soon as we finish recording. <laughs> but we should move to our weekend TV because, again, we're really loving this 90-minute thing. So let's see if we can keep that rolling. At the end of the show, we are going to be talking about uh, our viewing in last week's stream apocalypse. Uh, now, listener, now, have you heard about this stream apocalypse thing? No, I don't know what this is. Oh, this is because last week, Friday, there were five different seasons of television that premiered, or over the course of last week, uh, because okay. there was BoJack Horseman, there was, yeah. uh, was it Hulu's The First, there was Forever, there was, um, which was on Amazon Prime, and there was, there was one other one, and then there's, which I'm not remembering, and then there's the one that we're talking about, which is American Vandal Season 2. And so the question okay. was, with all these seasons of TV, and all very... Uh, critic baby seasons of tv what are you mm-hmm. going to be watching and clearly we were going to be discovering who the turd burglar was because we really enjoyed american vandal season one and we want to see what happens season two we'll talk about that at the end of the show listeners now let's take a break listen to some music and come back with our week in tv <laughs> TV. We're going to be talking about just a handful of shows. First, we'll kick things off with the premiere sneak peek of I Feel Bad Pilot and I Get Sick of Being Needed. Then we'll move on to Wrecked Ballers. <laughs> and then uh, Noel's going to talk about Fully Cooley, which had uh, the premiere from last week and then which was Flying Memory and then this week's episode two grown-up wannabe then i'll talk about the finale of the sinner and which is part eight and we'll round things out with elementary season finale season not series as they clearly thought when they were making this whatever remains how improbable so uh more on on that when we get to it but first up is i feel bad which had its uh first you know premiered its first two episodes this week and then it's going to be off the air and come back in october for its actual 
regular time slot yeah, premiere. Yeah, we're just going to play these episodes again. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Which, you know what? Fair enough. Uh, I reviewed the season. I previewed the season over at the AV Club this week. You can read my thoughts there about these first two episodes as well as the third episode. And we talked about this a bit in our fall TV preview, but now we have a couple more episodes. Uh, we'll just talk about the first two this week. Um, but we can have a little fuller uh, perspective on it. Noel, what did you think of I Feel Bad? I didn't like it. Oh, no. Bad. Oh, I did yeah. like it. Oh, okay. Well, good. We're going to disagree. Yeah. That's fun. So what, yeah. what, did, what no. did not work for you? Uh, well, the pilot I thought was just kind of rough um, in a lot of ways. Um, and it was it was very chaotic. And I also kept going, why is this, why are we just doing, a, why are we doing blackish right now? Mm-hmm. And not yeah. as well. It's very blackish. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I was really kind of struggling with that because there wasn't anything sort of underpinning a lot of the action for me to motivate going to all of these really terrible people in her office (laughs) with her problems. I mean, I know the people in Blackish are terrible, but they at least provide something of a perspective that helps. These guys do not at all. (laughs) I I so strongly disagree. The people, well, not because of this show, but because of Blackish. In Blackish, they offer nothing but terrible advice. And, uh, Right, but that, that guides him into a proper course of action. She listens to them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, well, for me, it worked. That's interesting. Um, I do not disagree, though. It's very blackish. But for me, when I was writing about it, it occurred to me it's not just blackish. It's also very Sex in the City. That yeah. central conceit. Like People have been doing that way longer than blackish has been around. Um, but yeah. but what really worked for me about it, um, and I, don't, I do not disagree that the first episode is in particular, the pilot in particular, is very broad. You can see what I was talking about with the... Um, the, the mother character, the grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, they give her this, like, why are you having her do this, this, like, weird dancing thing? And it's just, the actor is clearly way better than the material that they were giving her. Um, but in the second episode, and particularly in, in the third episode, I thought things got more interesting and they got more nuanced. And I also really appreciate just the show taking such a bald-facedly female perspective to issues-based sure. comedy. So, like, the, the shows like Blackish or um, One Day at a Time or The Carmichael Show that are, t- you know, calling back to the Norman Lear, um, you know, 70s, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Sitcom model of let's talk about a topic for an episode. Let's talk about a societal issue or a, a element of our, of our day-to-day life and really talk about that for a, a full episode. And these other shows, all the other shows I could think of, do not take that discussion from, like, leading from a female point of view. Even one day at a time. And the reason that I say that, because one day at a time is such a, a female-centric show, pretty much everybody on that show <laughs> is is a female character, with two exceptions. And our main central figures are, are Penelope and Abuela, Abuelita. Um, and, but, but they're always having their conversations, you know, because it is so female-centric, there's no one pushing back on that. No, there's no need to explain the female point of view because all the characters, the main characters in that show, besides Schneider, are women. And so for me, having such a straightforward, this is what a lot of women experience. Let's talk about it. Yes, it's very blatant. It's not particularly nuanced. But I didn't realize how much I was missing that and how much I appreciated that um, in, in the way that Blackish was like, we're going to talk about racial issues. That's just going to happen now. Um, I, I really appreciated that about, about 
I feel bad. And I know I can absolutely identify with that notion of like guilt over like always feeling bad about something and that being like a neurosis that you do to yourself, (laughs) but but it still comes from larger societal pressures. And no matter what you do, you're going to feel bad about something, which is the central conceit uh, that gives the show its jumping off point um, with the main characters always feeling bad about something, which is, you know, not something that is purely uh, the female experience, but it's something that that all the women I know can can really identify with. So I, I like this is it's not funny enough yet, but I think that there are the bones for a good show here. I think that there are the bones, but I'm not confident that they have enough to like pull it all together. Like, okay. I feel like the second episode, um, I lied to my kids, which is weirdly misnamed considering she's lying to everyone in that episode. Um, but she only feels bad about lying to her kids. <laughs> Yeah, um, is, it's like, I feel like I've just seen this mm-hmm. way too many times is like my problem. When you mentioned like a lack of nuance, it's also the fact that there's nothing really fresh here in terms of how they execute her needing a break, basically, mm-hmm. of like, okay, she's going to sneak into the neighbor's house, but like the house is just as big seeming as her current house admittedly it's not overrun with a family so it's very much just hers um but it's still like grounded in this sense of like you both have really well off jobs that you have this house with and so there's the materialistic aspect of it that's kind of frustrating for me but then there's just the whole kind of assumption of someone else's life of like that's just kind of weird and creepy for me that kind of undermines a lot of the message of like I'm just going to wear this woman's wedding dress. And it's just like, what are we doing right now? I can understand just taking all her lotions and mixing them together. That's okay, I feel like. That's a line I'm willing to be okay with. But you're just wearing her clothes. And this feels really weird. And not in like a particularly sort of funny sort of weird. This just kind of feels weird. And I was grappling with that aspect of it. Even if the button to the punchline of the parents dressing up as the uh, primary couple was very good. Um, But it just, it lacked, like you said, it lacked some nuance and it lacked just some general sort of freshness in terms of how we're exploring these ideas. And that was really, I think, where I, where it fell down for me a lot was like, I didn't feel like anything particularly new in how it was addressing these topics, even from a feminist perspective of, well, I feel like we've done this sort of thing before multiple places of, no, this is my nook and you shouldn't be invading it. I need this space. And I just never felt like they were saying something particularly fresh by doing this. And that's where I sort of like stumbled pretty hard. Okay. Yeah, no, the, it's definitely, it's super weird. It's creepy that they're dressing up in their clothes, especially like an autographed jersey and a wedding dress is like, yeah, yeah no, it's it's definitely creepy. And But I appreciated that because it was more interesting. It was a character choice that, oh, they're they're creepy and not good with boundaries, apparently. Um, and I also really appreciated them sidestepping right over what I expected to happen when she's wearing the person's wedding dress while drinking red wine uh and yeah. the cops show up uh so so when they st- sidestepped over some of the more expected uh potential comedy that also you know was a, a nice sign for me a positive sign but I, I you know i have to disagree yes we have seen threads like this before but to have such a straightforward discussion of emotional labor and the cost of emotional labor that's not yeah. something that i have seen 
on TV TV very much. And to put it so straightforwardly, I've seen plenty of like, you know, I just need my own thing. But no, no, just, okay, listen to what I'm doing now. The the conversation that the main couple has at the end um, was what really clinched that episode for me. Because, Uh again, emotional labor is something that that women and that people who are in the position to constantly give emotional labor talk about and understand. And lots of other people don't. They don't seem to get it as much as we talk about it. So if this show gets anybody who doesn't understand emotional labor to understand emotional labor, then that's enough of a reason for it to exist as far as I'm concerned. So it hit home so significantly for me. And, And again, like I said, I wasn't laughing enough. But for right now, there's that's enough of a reason for me to keep watching. Okay, and I hear you with the emotional labor like discussion. I think that discussion is really well written and really good. I just don't feel like the rest of it lives up to that material in any mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. And yeah. it's just very frustrating to see little glimmers of good things mired down by really sort of tired discussions about dancing in schools and that it's just like this is not i know that they're different episodes but it's this is very tired as well and i feel tired (laughs) um so i was just really i ended up just feeling kind of frustrated with sort of how broad it could be but also the fact that virtual reality doesn't work that way Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) you you don't you don't feel you don't feel the bubbles yeah no that i was like it shows how in the tank i am for this one right now that i was willing to go with that and be like that just says shows how much she needs this right now that she's projecting feeling the bubbles because that is not how this works yeah you're yeah, yeah, that's not how that works. But also, yes, that is indicating how very in the tank you are. For the- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll see. And again, I do. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I yeah. like. I hear you so much. Um, and, and again, the other thing I think of this is this is executive produced by several people, but including Amy Poehler. And uh-huh. I just reflect back on how bad <laughs> the first season, comparatively, of Parks and Rec, uh, Parks and Rec was, and how not funny the for the pilot of um 30 rock was and they found their like their the way pilot to 30 rock but i'm like the only person on the planet who likes the pilot to 30 rock yeah so. including <laughs> tina fey yeah <laughs> but but no fair enough but the point yeah. being um we've seen a lot of bad po- comedy pilots and yeah. for me this is significant steps ahead of where a lot of comedies even comes that went to, on to be terrific and really really good uh, started so i'm hoping mm-hmm. i guess i'm just willing i'm just ho- willing to go on hope that they will get better and quickly i also really enjoy the the performances i think that um the the cast is really good and i particularly enjoy the lead who i did not know before this soraya blue mm-hmm. and i think yeah. after being a little on the fence in the the pilot i'm super on board with adelstein as the husband i'm not on board with him yet but Oh, he's he's really charming overall. So there's uh-huh. plenty of room for me to just to be worn down. Uh-huh. See, I don't, he's like, it seems to me like the central beat for that character right now. There's two. He's neurotic. But the yeah. bigger one for me is that he's just always tired. He's just like constantly yeah. exhausted. And I love that because that is appropriate for someone who has a toddler to just like yeah. and works a long, uh, a, a grueling job. That is emotionally draining, as clearly his job is. Um, I, I love that beat, and Adelstein's very good at that beat. So we'll see. We'll see what, what comes of it. Yeah. And I really hope they give Madar Joffrey and Brian George 
more and better to play because they like those are two actors that will deliver if if they're yep. given the good so mm-hmm. we'll see more yeah. on this later in the season when the show actually comes back after it's aired these episodes <laughs> we'll see if our if our opinion has changed by episode six um but let's move on now to our our next episode and that is wrecked ballers and uh featuring rob cordry and not the rock get over it dude get over it uh, what did you think of this episode Poor todd i liked this episode uh quite a bit i i appreciated rob cordry coming up and I think of all cable shows that kind of just have like a low simmer sort of appreciation. I'm glad that Ballers is the one that gets like attention on pop culture as opposed to something like Billions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's, I, I, and I, I feel like it's also just TBS just really likes Ballers too, since they keep bringing Rob Corddry on for, um, whatchamacallit, for Full Frontal and showing that. Oh, that's the um, Daily Show connection, man. That's the Sam B. Yeah. Daily Show. Yeah, but it was also because of, like, Elizabeth Warren loves ballers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. There is that, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> um. So, no, I enjoyed Todd's sort of, like, internal, like, realization of that violence begats self-harm um, as sort of cliched a message as that was. But it was presented enjoyably enough because we got to see that actor beat up a kid. so that was fun uh but you were correct that chet was the one who shot steve and um but then we get to see all those other castaways get the crap beaten out of them um because color guard requires a little work (laughs) yeah no that was fun that was that was certainly entertaining um yeah this was fine i like this one i i thought the other previous episode was more interesting but i'm not very connected to the whole just thing that's happening right now um, I enjoy mm-hmm. that performer. We've talked about this with uh, Cloak yeah. and Dagger, of course, but um, but it, you know it's fine. But the yeah, Todd stuff is. was certainly more interesting. Finding the Tailies <laughs> was more interesting. But um, I hope that they are going somewhere, going to something else other than just the eventual Jess and Todd reunion that seems very telegraphed at this point. Um, so we'll 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 see. But I think that there's funnier things that that actor can do and that the, yes. the storylines could give us they just haven't found it yet so we'll see um i also like i enjoy these cast members but restarby's funnier so so not having it's Darby, very true yeah. Uh, yeah and also i i, I mean the, the the characters we got in the previous episode i'm infinitely more invested in than the ones we got in this yeah. episode so that was no, also a mark against it and i also missed the comedic like cutaways to the psychos who are watching, you know, their yeah. the, the their stories. So hopefully that'll be back in the next episode as well. But but I thought it was solid and, and it was a creative way to to get some time with Todd. I would not have imagined that we we're gonna do a spirit journey with uh with Rob Cordry. So uh yeah. But Todd was appropriately dense uh about yes. learning his lesson and uh yeah, it was it was a good time. It was a good time. Yeah, and I, I think that, like, part of the, like, the loss of the rich psychos is, like, justified, air quotes, by the fact that they can't see what's happening with the other group. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does diminish, like, those cutaway jokes are very good. And the, all that, that, those, that quartet of actors um, who are the rich psychos are very good and have, like, a very immediate amount of chemistry with one another. Uh, so yeah, now that hopefully sort of the gang's kind of back together, it provided Chet doesn't just like 
Oliver Queen arrow shoot all of them off a cliff real fast. Um, because I can see that happening because Chet's in the game now. Um, <laughs> that there's hopefully a lot more humor to be mined by them all being in in this now together as they go into like probably the last three. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, Okay, how about Fulikuli? We had the launch of Alternative, and uh, I listeners, I tried to watch this, but my streaming, my 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 cable won't let me watch this on demand, and I am frustrated with them. So I will have thoughts on this next week. Uh, But right now, what did you think of Flying Memory and Grown Up Wannabe? How how is this season shaping up so far? Because we we had heard that is very different. Yeah, and Thomas, who came on to talk about Progressive uh, with us a couple, like a month ago. Um, a month ago? Yeah. Uh, no, no, yeah, July. So yeah, it's been a while, actually. Yeah. Um, was really correct when he said that this was a very different sort of show. And it is. And a much better show. Um, Kana, as he alluded to, is a very different sort of protagonist. Um, she's definitely someone who is sort of suffering from that teenage ennui. But she has a support system, and the support system is much more present here with her friends, um, who all have like different personalities, uh, different sort of ways of approaching life, and that all plays into sort of how they engage and interact with one another. So I just really appreciated sort of the interplay of female relationships in this. Um, the exploration of sort of in the second episode, one of their friends is dating a college guy and like the cool factor of dating a college guy while you're in high school comes into the mix, but also the fact that college guys are douchebags comes into the mix as well. So it's a very, like, again, it's a very well-trodden path that they go on in the second episode, but the way that they kind of explore it, I feel like really works nicely. But I think that my favorite bit is generally just the fact that um, Haru um, is sort of in the backseat, kind of until like shenanigans start to happen, basically. And so the emphasis is on Kana and her friends. And I really like that because like most of the first episode is about them building a really big bottle rocket at the community center. And it's just really cool. It's really sweet. There's in-jokes amongst them about like how one of them is just very obsessed with Dr. Pepper. And just all this sort of stuff that feels really much more lived in and much less, um, I don't want to say pretentious, but much less like overly written or overly artful or overly dedicated to a particular sort of tone for the show that I feel like ultimately Progressive was like too married to Fulikuli's original sort of approach. And this feels a little fresher and a little more divergent. I mean, Medical Mechanica is not even, like, around. There's not a giant iron anywhere, Kate. <laughs> There's a giant sort of scary monolithic mall, shopping mall that's come up into town that seems to be sucking up a lot of businesses, which is probably going to be, like, important in another, like, three episodes. Mm-hmm. But overall, I'm really enjoying this so far. So I'm I'm glad about this so far, yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it from what you're saying. That that sounds neat. And a welcome break for some from some of the other so some of the elements that weigh down the progressive yeah. at least for us. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of weighing things down, the center had its finale, part eight. And do you remember that thing that I was saying, you know, just w- until this thing gets revealed in the finale? Do you, I don't know if you remember that. I talked about that a couple months ago. There was a yeah. thing. Yeah, that happened and it happened in the okay. finale. Um, and that says, what was it? Oh, well, that the, um, 
the main character for this season, well, one of the main characters, not Bill Pullman, but Bill Pullman's like fr- childhood friend whose daughter was a cop, is a cop and, and called him in to come help with this. Uh, guess what? He raped her friend and was the father of the central kid who killed the people. Um, and so that is like that. Th- that's why we've been spending so much time with her at home. And that is like the creeping dread conspiracy thing that has been lurking at the corners, explaining some of the just leave it alone, just leave it alone from different members of like p- portions of the town because they've been covering up these payments that he's been sending to Mosswood every month to as child support, basically. Um Anyways, this that was fine. Um, they they didn't really they they approached some interesting stuff uh, material with the um the central ki- the kid the 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 what's who seems like they're the 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 titular sinner but it's actually someone else and they approached was it some, Bill Pullman? It, no, it wasn't. And the like there was still some stupidness with that character this season, but it was not nearly as overwrought and and on the nose and frustrating as it had been in previous seasons, uh, the previous season, I should say. But, um, yeah, they give Carrie Coon some interesting stuff. And then in the, they pivot in the last couple episodes to, to have it be something else that's going on and to make her a more heroic figure and, um, and at least more relatable. And while I'm glad they didn't have there be some secret child abuse, that we didn't know about to the kid, right? Uh, which is what they're hinting at earlier on. It turns out to be something far more benign. But um, it, it just, it, feel, it felt like, why did you get Carrie Coon for this? <laughs> and and she, of course, is terrific. So she does brings a lot of, of interesting nuance to her role. And, you know, her, I think, partner, uh, Tracy Letts, plays the dad of the other cop. So... You can see why they did this one together. You know, they both had, I'm guessing that was, they were sort of a package deal. Um, but yeah, there's just not enough there there for me with this. And like, if I had been able to stream it, I might it might have worked better for me. But to have a whole week to think about each episode before the next episode, now nah, less successful um the the central performance from the kid is pretty good um he pops up in um american vandal season two he's the the young the middle schooler who oh is- right i thought he looked really familiar based on having seen promos for the center i just went is that the kid on the center that is the kid on the center he's better here than he is on american vandal um but it was also very weird it's a very different kind of performance it's very earnest very actory even for for a child actor, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, different time of year. I definitely wouldn't have had time for this. Um, and if there was like, if there were two more shows I was watching, I would I would be like frustrated that I had spent time on this. But you know, I'll watch Carrie Coon in pretty much anything. So yeah, you know, I I can't feel like it was a waste of my time. But it was, um, and it, and it certainly had certain elements that moved in a better direction, a more interesting direction. Um, but I would say both now with season one and season two of The Sinner, the finale reveals were not as satisfying or as interesting as all the buildup merited. So like, so I would say that like maybe if there's six episodes instead of eight, 
then it would have packed much more of a punch. But because you have build up, build up, build up for seven episodes, and then in eight episode you get your wide on it, and that would it would just be more impactful if they hadn't been stretching it for two full months. Um, the you think you know the why done it at the beginning of the season, but you don't. They really dismiss. They 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 don't go back to why this kid poisoned these two, like at all. Like what he was like something seemed wrong, so he poisoned them because <laughs> he didn't understand what death is. Like they really don't want you to think about that as you get to the end of the season, and that's a shame because that is a more interesting question that they just really move on from after episode like three or four. Um, so yeah. It ended. I watched it. Yay, people got money. Um, I don't know if it'll be back for season three, but I mean, I don't know how many shows they have. TNT has. Um, is it USA. USA. Sorry. Thank you. USA has over the summer. So this might just like slot right in for them. But yeah, there's nothing. There was nothing in season one that made me go, oh, I can't wait to see what they do for season two. And there's even less in season two that has me going, oh, I can't wait to see what they do in season three. Season two also had the benefit of a really terrific performance from Jessica Biel, but a unexpected one, right? I know Carrie Coon is great. I know that these actors are very good, right? So there was no surprise quotient of getting to see someone explore material that I wouldn't have pegged them for. So in, if they do a season three, they either need to bring better material or bring more unexpected actors, I would say. It's weird yeah. to say, like, it's a shame they cast Carrie Coon, because I know she's great, so I wasn't surprised when she was great. <laughs> no, they need to pull that Law & Order thing of, like, oh, right, a comedic actor can do drama. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. We'll yeah. see what they do. I mean... Again, I can't feel bad about Carrie Coon getting money, so getting a, getting yeah. a gig. So, who knows? Uh, now that I've completely deflated any energy and excitement from our discussion, let's move on to Elementary, which had its its uh, season finale. Whatever remains, however improbable, and this is very clearly what they thought was going to be the series finale because they blew shit up, and I I don't think they can put it back together for season seven. But they kind of have to because it's CBS. So, like, they do a good thing. They set up how they could undo the, the Marcus thing really clearly in this. But yeah. I don't think you can undo the Gregson thing. You so, can't undo a lot of this stuff. Yeah. What it, well, let's start with, what did you think about this finale? I think the finale, um, I think that as like sort of, I think as a conclusion to the Michael arc, it's fine. I like the fact that it remains true to the fact that the show, while liking the concept of Michael and liking the concept of this killer that wants to show off and like have Sherlock, they just decided. And so much of that, I feel like, is dedicated by, dictated, I should say, by the fact that they only thought they were going to get 13 episodes. That this finale was shot in the 13th slot of their 2021, 20, what ended up as a 21 episode season. So they just sat on this <laughs> <laughs> for eight, eight more weeks. Mm -hmm. um, is, is just indicative of the fact that this was going to be a much tighter sort of story that they had planned for Michael, but then just had to let deflate out. And I feel like 
when we talked about this a little bit, I was just really glad that they just decided not to really commit to Michael in any way, shape, or form. And just have him leave and then come back and do this thing and not even stick around too much longer after he's done this other thing and refocus it on Joan and Sherlock, I think is always, is always the best decision to make on this show is to refocus on the two of them. Um, and so while the entire idea that Joan would have killed Michael is, I think, borderline ludicrous, Mm -hmm. um, the avenues of investigation and the avenues of personal relationships that get thrown into conflict as a result of the FBI's sheer assurance that it is Joan, plus what Gregson does, is just so good that it helps to elevate the finale in a way that I was not particularly expecting, uh, based on what we'd previously gotten with the Michael storyline. Um, so as a season finale, I think it's fine. As a series finale, this would have been great. Right? <laughs> this would have been a very good series finale. Um, and I appreciate, like, the showrunner, um, Dottery talking to TV Line about it, and I'll probably reference that as we're talking about it, of them being like, yeah, we kind of have to, kind of have to commit to this for a little while, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, like, they've, he said that when they come back, a year's gonna have passed in season seven, when they pick back up. They are going to be in London when they pick back up. Mm-hmm. And th- I don't they have time to figure out how to write them back into New York. But at the same time, I kind of don't want them to go back, Kate. I don't want them yeah. to go back. I mean, I, I'll, I, I'll miss their other, the other characters, but it just doesn't make any sense for them it to doesn't. go back. Yeah. It doesn't. And I mean, I, when I finished the episode, I almost texted you, but I watched it before you did. And I was just like, I wonder how they're going to write themselves out of this corner. I didn't want to give you anything, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't want them to write them out of the corner. I want them to take the lost salaries of um yeah. of um Quinn and um the fellow who plays Marcus, um whose name I can't remember. Um John Michael Hill. And just help do do an actual thirteen episode season in London. Yeah. <laughs> don't give yeah. them another eight episodes. You can have Marcus show up to visit. You know, yeah. like that, that would be great. Yeah, um, but there's no way that they go back to working with the captain after this. There's no, no way. There's no way. It wouldn't yeah. possibly work. Even yeah. like so, without grudges, even without yeah. emotional issues, like I don't know how he can stay on the job. Yeah, no, they can't. They, I mean, I legitimately feel like that, like you said, they just blew up so much stuff. This is like they legitimately can't trust Gregson at this point, I feel mm-hmm. like. And that's the whole point of this. <laughs> yeah. Their yeah. relationship is that he trusts them, they trust him. And they even talked about that when they did that episode about fielding different sorts of um, people to replace Marcus. And the fact that once Gregson leaves, they pretty much have to leave too because they're there on his goodwill. Yeah. So just stick with Scotland Yard and have just conjoined Baker Street apartments because it's so good. Oh, it's so and- good. And I was I was thinking about it like a couple days after I watched it, and I realized, oh my gosh! And who is Mrs. Hudson? But her mom. Her mom is Mrs. Yeah. Hudson, and that's awesome. And they already have, of course, we've already met the actual Mrs. Hudson in this universe, and I assume she's yeah. tending the bees. But like, yeah. 
Like this, her mom can like cause and and note I was very keen on the uh plural of the neighbors. So I yep. would not be surprised if we come back and Joan has a baby uh, or a yep. child, uh, as well as her mother there with her, because I don't recall the mother having other family ties in New York. Um, well, that was yeah, my yeah, big yeah. question mark about Joan going to London was mm-hmm. her mother, who's starting to to lose some of her mental faculties, like leaving her behind. It didn't make any sense. That was like, yeah, and her like half sister too. So her yeah. half sister. Yeah. But the, the half sister, of course, is through the father, not through the mother. So yeah. like, there's no reason for it's like, it's like, Oh wait, the mom came with her. That makes so much more sense. Oh, and then she was his husband. Oh, that's perfect. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. Y- yeah. No, the, the way that they set up the end is a, like a really terrific, if they take advantage of it, energy to take into a, a next season or next several depending on if how it gets renewed if it gets renewed as a final or not a, a seventh and final um but yeah this episode really you know, I, I agree with what you're saying any and i've been thinking about many different Sherlock Holmes adaptations um this week and going to the core of Holmes and Watson is always the best idea for yes. Sherlock Holmes it is always the best the best episodes of any adaptation of Sherlock Holmes that I've ever seen have been episodes that really understand and, and center that dynamic and that relationship. And, um, and what we see in this episode, I think is terrific. Uh, that, how do they never once mention nobody, nobody mentions once she has cracked ribs and he beat the shit out of her and was like in pretty much just straight up good physical condition, except he had a stitch. He had some stitches Right? Where she had cracked ribs. And we're supposed to believe that she beat him to death? That's fucking absurd. And no yeah. one even voices that. Come on. Um, yeah. I also like the assumption that, like, again, like we talked about last week. I mean, obviously Sherlock would be the one who did it. Yeah. <laughs> Joan. Um, but um, the and, – and the way that the episode – uh, immediately has Gregson and Marcus dismiss. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like if they had, if they had said we think Sherlock did it, then I think both of them would be like, "I'll I'll get back to you on that." But for Joan, it just doesn't make not even if she hadn't had cracked ribs and been in the hospital that very day, it wouldn't make any sense. Um, so I appreciated that. Uh, the 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 dynamic of of them. Like I thought it it really showed some of the best pacing and season long plotting that the show has done yes. since season three, which I really appreciated. And when we had the um previously on elementary and we see Hannah, they did such a great job of immediately tying that into the next scene with with Holmes and Watson, so it doesn't tip your hand. And you realize mm-hmm. the way that they like in what they thought was their last season, they were immediately coming back to the the centrality of Sherlock's um sobriety and how that in, in, impacts so much more of his life um and and also Joan's role in his life i like this this gets so much right in a, se- a series finale and in a season finale um and, and it shows the understanding that the the writers have at elementary of what is most important in the Holmes Watson dynamic and in any Sherlock Holmes adaptation, really elementary has become my favorite Sherlock Holmes adaptation that I've seen. Uh, I, I need to rewatch some of the old school ones to really be officially on board with that. But the way that this show never loses sight of Holmes's struggles outside of just being like a jerk 
who gets bored yeah. is something that I can't I can't think of another Holmes adaptation that really does that. Um and, and tying that in with his like not just he's a jerk, but he has like anti social issues that he's dealing with. He has um uh he, he has his sobriety struggles that are constant and a just lived and baked in part of the show. The respect the show pays to that I think is terrific. And they didn't kill his new girlfriend, which I so thought they were going to do. Um, so th- I was really very pleasantly pr- pleased with this adaptation. And and jo- just Joan is my favorite Watson, which I didn't think anybody was going to top Martin Freeman's Watson because it's so good. Um, but I, Joan has become my favorite Watson. And uh, it's not even that close anymore. And I, I think, you know, just I can't like if you think of the other adaptations of Sherlock Holmes, this is by far the closest to an actual partnership, which is such an important thread in this finale. And and I think that is just so much more interesting than what we usually see. So, yeah, I, I really ended up, the more I thought about this finale, the more on board with it I am and the more uh, pleased I am with how it reflects on Elementary's entire series run. Yeah, and I think you're really correct in terms of that they understand this is a partnership and they've had the room to really develop this. I mean, when you get six seasons and you're sort of able to as deftly balance generally the character and the procedural stuff, as well as the show typically does, uh, you have the room to really develop that and develop a sort of relationship that, is so beautifully culminated in this episode of A, he uses Joan's first name for the first time in the entire show. He says that he loves her and there's not a under, there's a very clear understanding of what this love is and all of that. And the fact that that's always been like this concept of love in some fashion or another is really central to Holmes and Watson as archetype of characters and borderline archetypes at this point within this within this sort of intellectual property Mm -hmm. and but this legitimately for me anyway feels like the first adaptation that really wants to explore that and has explored that and more than anything else has made it the cornerstone of their program like there's i love the jeremy brett sherlock holmes please do not get me wrong, but they're also very married to the text. And that limits sort of the exploration that you can do. And I'm, I never really felt like the BBC Sherlock was able to break out of its own particular infatuation with itself. <laughs> um, it to- became an escalating problem as the show went longer and longer it's the Stephen Moffat problem of being more interested in cleverness than in character right and so that suffered things even though there's clearly a good there's clearly a connection both in terms of performance but also in terms of those characters between Cumberbatch and Freeman's particular takes but this is just much more lived in almost literally because Mm -hmm. of how the show demonstrates truly more so than I think others, the real perils of living with Sherlock Holmes <laughs> yeah. from really terrible wake up calls to pet turtles, to weird sort of experiments on the wall. Mm-hmm. And just all this sort of stuff is 
stuff that is present within Doyle's writing, but is never really full is never given the time to breathe or given the time to be extrapolated into other types of things since yeah. other adaptations either are very married to the text or don't have the time or the space or the interest in doing this and as a result you just get a really rich Holmes and you get by extension also a very rich Watson and you often don't get a really rich Watson sometimes. You get a really well-performed Watson, but you don't get a Watson that feels like there's a degree of interiority there that this show gives, even though, to the show's detriment, Joan's life outside of Sherlock is very minimal. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And that's, like, easily the show's biggest flaw is that Joan's... Anyone that's not a member of Joan's family quickly disappears. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And unless they have a case that they need someone's help with is like, Mm -hmm. they don't exist. And that's a problem for this character. But given the sheer strength between these two actors and these two conceptions of these characters, it almost doesn't matter. Yeah. No, I I would agree with that. And the, um, the, the understanding of an interest in her growth over six seasons just yeah. as much as his. Like, Watson is usually a pet. Yes. And they joke about that in different versions. But they never truly commit to doing something other than that. And and that is just, it's not interesting. And it's not something you can, can you know, really invest years of viewing in. Um, and certainly rewatch in any meaningful way. It's it's my biggest problem with the Miss Sherlock, which is the the... Japanese uh, HBO co-production um, or, or at least they got the rights uh, to, to air in, in, in the United States. It's, it's a really, co-production. It's yeah. a co-production. Okay. Thanks. Um, and yeah, it's just, it, everything, it's more interesting. It's always going to be more interesting. Your two hander is going to be more interesting if we actually care about both of them. And if they are both, if they, if they are equals and, and despite the, hat tip towards well Watson's a doctor that comes in handy you know that that most of the adaptations do um this is the the one that I, where I really feel like there was a concerted effort to show the value uh, you know talk about the <laughs> I was talking about I feel bad of emotional labor right this is the 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 first one that I really think nails that um and the other the last thing I'll mention is that um I also really love you mentioned the experiments and what it means to live with homes um they, this show really emphasizes it is a constant, uh, it is a constant learning and improving process that makes Sherlock Holmes who he is. Like that wall of locks, like they're they're always both of them honing their skills, practicing their their lock picking, all these different things, in a way that uh, a lot of other adaptations, actually most of the ones I can think of, don't have any interest in doing. They don't show it as a craft. They show it as just br- brilliance, and and Sherlock also does experiments because he's bored, and those are interesting. Not as a because it's it's exercise because it's working out his brain, and because he wants to constantly be better. And so does Joan. And that if if you have the capability, you could become as interest as, as like as as detail oriented as knowledgeable. You could become Sherlock Holmes, and um. 
You could know all these obscure tobaccos. You could know all these <laughs> obscure tobaccos. You just have to study. It's not like he's like magic the way that so many ad- adaptations present him. Um, and that we see Joan embarking on that process and coming to a point where the show has to try to come up with reasons to have her explain that she already knows stuff. The stuff yeah. that, that Sherlock would know. Um, instead of just having Watson be there to to ask dumb questions. And to go, oh, my dear yeah. Watson, how very simple. You know, this is, yeah. you know, yeah. It, 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 we've talked for way too long about this finale, but it's, it's one that I've certainly enjoyed. And, yeah, I want to see, like you said, I want to see a 13-episode season all in London. Um, they can have Marcus show up for, for a couple episodes on vacation. Um, they can have Kitty show up. But and how great is it to have a potential series finale with no Moriarty? With no, like, like this sense of, like, what actually matters are these big villains? Like, no. That's not what matters. What matters is Holmes and Watson. And I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it boils down to the fact that uh, the showrunner basically just went, yeah, we thought this was it. And it just seemed right for them to be back where they belong as characters, which is London. And that's yeah. where we wanted to end. And then CBS just went, no, you're going you're gonna to do another season. And we just went, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> But yeah. I just yeah. assumed that I just assumed that was the feeling in the writers' room based on when they finished this and just went, "Oh, okay." Uh, are we gonna rebuild the whole set? That's gonna be expensive, huh? Let's see. Well, we'll see what they have to you know what they come up with for season seven. And I like that brownstone set is gorgeous. But yeah. I because we hope they're we're hoping they're staying in London for a while. I really hope they step up to the plate because the little glimpses we saw of two twenty one were totally not interesting. So well, no, because it was it was just there for that one scene. That was yes. it. Like yeah. I mean, yeah. So production designers, we know you have this in you because we've seen what you do with the rest of Elementary. So yeah, I look forward to seeing what they bring to season seven. Yeah. Um, on that note, what wins your week in TV? Uh, let's see. I've been rewatching a lot of Murphy Brown and prep for next week. Um, but it's the elementary finale. Uh, yeah. I think. What about you? Yeah, I, I would not necessarily have like at the end of the year, I won't be saying, oh, it was the best finale of the year or anything like that. No. But just the, I appreciate that the more that I sit with it, the more I appreciate it and the more, um, it, it deepens in my mind. And I, I, even like outside of the episode itself, what it says about where it sits in the Holmes canon and what it says about the priorities of the showrunner and the writers and the the cast uh, really leaves me with a very fond feeling for Elementary. Like you said, if this had been the series finale, this would have been a terrific chef's kiss uh, series finale. So um, have fun topping that, guys. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, on that delightful note, um, let's take a break. On the Actually, on the note of have fun topping that, we will see if American Vandal was able to top their terrific first season when we come back right after this with our discussion of American Vandal Season 2. Monday, November 6th. It was really just a, a normal day. I don't know how else to describe it. This chicken finger Monday. Those things are damn good. Early into that lunch, I knew something was off. It didn't really hit me right away. And then it really hit me. Lemonade was contaminated. I want one. All, all of our students, they're all, they're all pooping. Most of us just shit our pants right in front of everyone. People were just trying to find a place where they could shit. 
This was the worst thing I've seen in 20 years. Before it was all over, it had a name. The Brownout. In April of 2016, Sam Eklund and I began shooting American Vandal. The response has been incredible. But with all this attention, came a lot of pressure on what kind of a case to take on next. I'm contacting you because we have a vandal. He goes by the name The Turd Burglar. I look at my phone and I got tagged in a video. This guy wanted an audience. He was taunting us. Milk, milk, lemonade, around the corner, poo emojis made. The Turd Burglar was a different animal. Who could have had a motive and who could be a suspect? What if the motive is just poop is funny? Poop is funny. It's poop, but it goes a lot deeper than that. Who is the chair burglar? We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, it's time to talk about American Vandal Season 2. Um, after Season 1, I really didn't need a Season 2. I felt like they really tied everything up. And what would be the point of a Season 2? And my initial response after seeing Season 2 is, because it's funny. Um, so what did you think of American Vandal Season 2? And did it merit... It's existence, like like uh, 13 Reasons Why, right? Season two was just like, nope, shouldn't have happened. Um, for me, American Vandal season two, yay. Even if maybe I, it's not as, as well drawn for me as season one, um, I still really had fun with it. What did, you, what did you think? I laughed a lot in certain parts. So I think that the humor carries carried me through a lot of it. But ultimately, I don't think that I needed this. Mm-hmm. Um, in part because it's just a subject matter issue as well of like, the the interrogation question of do you find poop funny and the answer is no so <laughs> that makes it kind of difficult for me to continue going um but i do think that there's enough good stuff here but i think that there's just one very large sort of problem with it that we can kind of discuss that at least i had with it mm-hmm. um that sort of limited it but at the same time um i think it's funny i enjoyed some like very polite nods to um uh seattle city sort of politics that happen in this um, particular episode uh not episode in this particular season regarding bellevue and rainier beach uh bellevue is indeed bougie as Um, this this is very accurate it is indeed bougie as fuck um but the overall scope of the season i think is fine i just think that there's one very key sort of thing that's limits it in a lot of ways um so yeah where do you want to start then well let's see if we can go for a while without spoilers which will be so we'll i imagine we'll get into your um question mark or your your you know the the hesitation or the the trouble you're having yeah. with the season which isn't related to like the mystery okay per se, so, oh, okay yeah. so okay then maybe yeah. we could talk about that sooner um for me the the what you're immediately lacking is the 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 documentarian's personal stakes which are not there yes and that's my biggest problem with it is like there's the lack that's exactly what i was alluding to was the fact that the lack of intimacy between Peter and Sam's connection to uh, the St. Bernardine mm-hmm. deflates so much of this season for me. It just 
and relies way too much on the cast of characters in St. Bernadine to carry itself. For the most part, it kind of does, but the lack of like really deep personal investment into solving this from Peter and Sam just really limits a lot of the more dramatic sort of arc. So this ends up feeling a little airless as a result, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's certainly it can't have that. And, and you know, I'm reminded of, you know, to a much lesser extent, but I'm reminded of Veronica Mars season one versus season anything else, where you just you can't possibly have the same stakes when you yeah. don't have that closest. They tried to recapture it later on. And they never were gonna. Um, so mm-hmm. I kind of appreciate American Man being like, well, we're not going to be able to believably have them something else happen in their lives that requires like uh, another document. Like this just not, wouldn't make sense as, as, as great as Jimmy Tetra was in season one as Dylan, I'm glad we don't see or hear about him at all in this season. Cause it wouldn't make any sense. I'm glad that they moved to a completely different area and have completely new characters and have a totally new uh, challenge that they're taking on. I love that. It's like their senior film. Uh, for it's for like a, a thesis or whatever for their their final and um and that it just it's so perfectly <laughs> these characters that the turd burglar is what piques their interest it's so juvenile and uh but very fitting for these guys that and they take it of course so seriously they're so self-serious i love that that continues unremarked upon um but but yeah you're just not gonna have that so because they don't attempt to uh that actually i think was they took the best approach they could um so i hear you what you're saying um but for me it was less of an issue i guess because i did maybe and maybe because i was going in with lowered expectations i you know because i just i had that awareness um as i'm sure you did too like they're not going to be able to unless they gin up something with that tension with with uh sam and peter like they're just not going to have that um in, in the same way they did in the first season that was so compelling in the first season. So then for me, it comes down to how well executed is sort of the case of the season. And I yeah. thought it worked really well. I, I particularly enjoyed seeing Taylor Dearden, who we loved on Sweet Vicious. And it took me forever to realize that's who it was. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> she looks so much younger than she did on Sweet Vicious, um, which is from a few years back. But um yeah, I, I thought that it, it really did work. And I was appreciating, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. I think that they did a pretty good job of not repeating the same beats in a very similar kind of setup. Um, there's some threads that are, you know, of, of corruption and the, the administrator, administrators um, uh, taking advantage of students. But I think for me, at least, they did a pretty good job of not falling into the same traps even with like their janitor versus the was it the history teacher the cool history teacher mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I thought they i thought they at least for me there was enough separation how did that work for you no it worked really well and i think a lot of it is like their decision to do as anti a dylan character as humanly possible <laughs> <laughs> through kevin uh, yeah. it's just like all right well who's the polar opposite of dylan all right kevin kevin is the polar opposite of dylan and I think that that decision is very smart. I think the the Kevin as both a written character and as a performed character is just really finely calibrated to that super obnoxious teen uh, um, that um, has so many tips on how to drink tea to create a vapor. 
So you get all the flavors, Kate. All the flavors. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, so I think all of that is, it's good. And I think that the, the sort of differentiation that they're able to achieve with that is really productive and keeps things going because I acknowledge the fact that there was no way for them, like you said, to do another story at their high school and that weren't another documentary because it would have just paled in comparison. It would have felt like a really bad rehash. So this is at least something different enough. And so I think that there's a strong enough job here differentiating anything. And I think the elements of class that come in a little bit also help to elevate them to a certain degree that wasn't really, to the best of my recollection, super duper present in season one, and at least not as explicitly present as, as it is here. And also race, um, class and race, really tied up in uh, St. Bernadine to as much room as they're willing to allow high schoolers to give it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that there's enough differentiation and I think that there's enough sort of like American Vandal-esque weirdness of um, hot janitors and a discussion of lemonade versus horchata as uh, beverages. Because uh, clearly, Kate, clearly, horchata is a superior beverage to lemonade. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, so even if it's not as sharp, I feel like, as the first season, because the the joke isn't as, like, it doesn't sneak up on you as much as it did, as it does in season one, it's still, there's still enough there there to kind of bring you forward. And there's still plenty of like really good, like humor stuff as well. Even if some of it is still too poop driven for me. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. I I don't agree that poop is funny, but I know enough people for whom that is absolutely true that I'm yeah. super willing to go <laughs> with the, the season with that. And that, that, that thread of what was connecting. Uh, well, first of all, would, would drive so much of the comedy, but also would, would inspire Peter and Sam to go to St. Bernadine and check them yes. out. And as well as like that, just that super serious discussion of could the motive just be poop is funny? Poop is funny. It's, you know, it's a, you know, like the, the straight faced, super yeah. self-serious discussion. Like it might not be funny to me, but it, it, I totally get. And I buy that is funny to these people, and that that is enough of a reason for someone to spike uh, the the lemonade with laxatives. Uh, I think that another, you know, maybe that's, it's not fair to keep comparing this season to the previous season. I yeah. do think that the previous season did a better job at getting us invested in the characters, in the high school characters. Yes. And I, I was thinking about that. I think a big reason is that we don't have someone we can trust. You don't have, like. I think yes. we can we can buy buy in with like Peter and Sam and trust their perspective as being accurate and their histories. There's like, they're like decades long histories with these kind of these characters as being, you know, them being honest narrators for us. But this, in this season, the closest we come to that is Chloe. And I'm constantly aware watching the season that she might be completely biased and we don't, we can't actually yes. trust what, what we're seeing. And they also made a point to avoid the kind of, detailed dive into like a party scene the way that we got in the first season of of this now there is some there is a thing like that in this season but i think they were making sure that we stayed that they stayed pretty far away from that they didn't want to draw comparisons and so because of that we don't get a lot of like actual footage of the the kids that we can rely again rely on as a omniscient narrator or like a 
trustworthy perspective. And that just really isolates, um, I think, our, our the characters this season, like the new characters, the, the high schoolers. I don't, I don't trust the perspective and the opinion. And I think there's also just such a constant focus on who did it. That the, the the show wants you constantly reevaluating and second guessing and and coming up with theories, so you never I I didn't emotionally invest in in Demarcus and and well I mean Kevin's just obnoxious, but uh, but but in, in really any of the kids, and I think that they sacrificed the the audience's connection yeah i guess i'll just to repeat myself the connection to the these characters because they wanted to maintain that anyone could do it it's the same issue i was having with uh death by uh death by innocence no ordeal by innocence where the the focus was too much on making sure anyone could have a motive so that i didn't actually care about who did it because they made everybody terrible um so, so i was having a little issue with that were you having any trouble with that yeah, and I think a lot of that is a lot of that comes into play with the result of Peter and Sam not having a personal stake in this. But I also think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that the lack of a personal stake means that this season feels a lot more like a straight up parody of this type of true crime stuff where the shows um whether they're podcasts or whether they're true crime docu-series done in this vein is to constantly keep you guessing um, and constantly having you reevaluate and come up with theories and that they're designed to do that, which means that in a non-fictional sort of setting, even though you have people who are, aren't characters, this is still a fictional setting. So there's a, there's a weird need for us to be invested Hmm. in someone and I think that also results in the season two feeling a little flat is that there's no one to really sort of provide an audience surrogate of sorts because Sam and Peter are both sort of just removed enough from both the actual crimes, but also from the narrative that they're constructing that they're not, they don't provide us with any sense of how really bizarre St. Bernadine is. So that's that's lost. And then there's the fact that, again, everyone has to be sort of a suspect. So no one is allowed to provide us with surrogacy. No one's allowed to provide us with sort of a into how kind of odd St. Bernadine is. And it almost is like you need a transfer student who has not been at Bernadine very long to kind of guide them through this and provide a commentary on how kind of odd this is. And... I kept waiting for Chloe to sort of fill that role, but the fact, like you said, that they were really low in details for her immediately had me go, oh, they want us to think of her as a suspect because we're not getting any deep dive stuff. And then I confused Sam and Peter. Mm-hmm. That, so one of them's like kind of flirting with her throughout like the season. And it's just like, oh, so that's, that's what's happening here is like, we're not really going to get much time about her. Because a, we need to set up her, set her up as a suspect later on, but that we just want Sam and Peter to not trust anyone, which provides a journalistic sort of approach. But at the same time, this is fiction, and that lack of sort of a grounding in something hurts. I think. 
Yeah. There's also just the inherent issue, and if this has a season three, it'll come back, of uh-huh. theoretically, Sam and Peter are getting better at this. And they, like, yes, it's implied that their show is picked up on Netflix. So right, which I appreciated that meta that yeah. meta-ness of the opening of this of like, yeah, we got a score, we got a remastered footage. It was great. We got to meet Trevor Noah. <laughs> <laughs> which was fun, don't get me wrong. But then like that element of ending on a constant cliffhanger and pulling the audience, like, could it be this person, could it be that person, gets to feel more and more artificial as something that they're doing so that their their docuseries will get a lot of clicks on Netflix. Yes. And that they gotta get that binge, man, because Netflix cares about the binge, <laughs> and that uh, is not interesting to me. It, like it really swallows its own tail at a certain point, and um, the you lose the by by lo- by getting them more polished, which I appreciate in a second season. I think in a third season they're gonna have to come up with some other some some other way to approach it because pretty quickly like even in this episode i feel this season i felt like they were knowingly goosing things and pulling the audience along in in a way that is really feels very disingenuous and is not satisfying and um and so and so maybe that's something that they can respond to with a more personal season 3 with a um like some some sort of uh, start, you find out at the beginning of the third season that there was a backlash on season two as being too manufactured and phony. So now they're going for verite and it's all like handheld or whatever. Um, who knows? The you know if they get another season, I'm sure the writers will have some ideas. But uh, that yeah. was certainly something that was affecting you know just an extra layer of artifice, which is appropriate for the characters. And for what we're seeing, yeah. but I think would reach a tipping point in a third season. Yeah, it absolutely would. It absolutely would. And I don't, I can't think of a particular sort of personal story, but I, I would be, I, I would also be concerned if like the kind of meta-ness of the backlash against season two, sort of encouraging this very day style also results in them sort of eating their own tail again in some other fashion. That's true. Yeah. And um, even though I say this as someone who loves Metanus and loves when shows eat their own tails, <laughs> um, but you can tip too far into that as like when you have a English lit professor who celebrates Kurt Vonnegut Day really excessively, it's just like you get into that Metanus of type mm-hmm. of things um, just a little too much. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the other elements to the season. I think that this is yet another season that really captures high school and teen yes. dramas really, really well and uh, characteristics and, and the feel of that. Like the way that we see these characters interact, especially with social media, felt mm-hmm. really appropriate. I mean, I say that as someone who didn't have a cell phone until I was in college. Trust me, I know how distanced I am from the high school experience, especially now. I'm so glad we didn't have the internet in a, like this kind of way that we do now. When I was in school, I never had to deal with any of that, and thank goodness. Um, but but it felt very authentic, and the the limited interactions I have with my students, my my high school and middle age student, middle school age students about about social media and that's it's a little bit you know snippets i get from them this felt you know very authentic yeah and i can't speak to like the verisimilitude of it but i know that the show 
I feel like the show does a really good job of presenting it within its own narrative and its own world. And I think that's ultimately what matters. So like this whole discussion about the frustration around an iOS update of like causing glitches, I think is just beautiful Um, (laughs) as like a narrative device, but also as like a minutia device within that these podcasts and narratives about true crime can get like really wrapped up in. And I think that that plays really well with this kind of group, but also our perceptions of these kinds of people of this age as well as speaking as two very creaky old 30 somethings <laughs> um, that it, it plays into that and it works well for that. But it also rings true when they're sort of discussing the capper of this sort of season about how much their lives, uh, these people of this age in high school and younger um, their lives are essentially done twice in terms of actually lived and then this curated experience that everyone can access at any point that Facebook memory brings back to the forefront um, just at the worst possible moment when you're feeling the most insecure because you're in a very insecure sort of stage of your life. And so I think all of that playing into that and plus f- feeding this narrative through a private school system for want of a better word of like no we've known each other since we were like six in a way that feels very distinct from yeah we've known each other since we were six in the first season because of all the trappings of this it feels markedly different and i i liked that sort of awareness of it as well um so i have to take your word for it that this fits with your exposure to the young people that you know, um, since I don't know any young people that use social media because the only young people I know are under the age of 10 <laughs> and they're not allowed to have phones yet. <laughs> I I know some people under the age of 10 who have phones uh, and I know some people under the age of 10 who are pushing real hard on their parents yeah. to get phones because all their friends have phones. And that is horrifying to me. Because the internet, the world, the internet in your pocket of a 10-year-old, that's just, no. That nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. That's not good. That's not, I mean, like, there are elements that are good, but there are so many elements that are so bad. Anyways, uh, that's a conversation for another time. Um, any, any final thoughts on this season? Or, you know, let's do our spoiler discussion. So, listeners, let's sure. do five minutes uh, on, of spoilers. Um, so if you don't want to be spoiled about anything uh, about American Vandal season two, go ahead and skip ahead. Now you you were less inclined to for, towards the season. Would you still recommend it for people who uh, saw the first season or for people who didn't? Um, I mean, I discouraged my person from watching it in part because she's not a poop stuff is not something she can do. So that first episode would just not be a thing that she could watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I think that this is less of a priority than you were talking about the streaming apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I think that this ultimately is maybe less of a priority than other things. Like, I feel like had we not discussed this, I would have watched um, The Dragon Prince instead mm-hmm. <laughs> over this past week because I was very excited about that. And I didn't, I haven't, still haven't watched any of it yet. Um, I would have watched this instead. Um, but if you like the first season, I think you'll probably enjoy this, but I don't think you'll enjoy it as much. Okay. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I would recommend it, and I I would agree with that. Um, but I still think for me, it's it's worthwhile viewing. So if you, I, I think if you like the first season, and yeah. poop jokes are not like, and and visual representations 
explicit yes. visual rep- representations of poop are not a deal breaker for you, um, then absolutely check it out and see. And you will get a sense pretty quickly if this is if you're enjoying it. Because um, I feel like it's a pretty consistent season. So, okay, yeah. so now we're going to dive for just a few minutes here into spoilers. So you have been warned. Now, um, what did you think of the decision to like whether they came through that came through in the end for the identity of the turd burglar? I was generally okay with it. And I sort of liked the layers of it with the um, catfishing aspect of it. I thought Mm -hmm. it was really good. Um, I have huge questions about when Abby Samuels dropped her phone and where, Mm -hmm. and why if she's in college, she went to the Kirkland mall to get it repaired. Yeah. Because that's very far away from Oregon. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a mall in Tacoma that she could have taken to that's closer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that sort of like narrative bend of like when she broke it and that kind of aside, um, I have questions about. But I liked how it's sort of tied into a underdeveloped aspect of the show, which is this sense of toxic masculinity that motivates a lot of where, um, what's his name is, uh, Grayson is coming from with his perspective, with his YouTube videos. All of that is just like not mentioned in any way. And it's very much supposed to be inferred. And I think that that's a weird misstep for the show to make. Um, but generally I liked how there ended up being sort of multiple criminals. Um, criminal act criminals committing an act um so i liked the catfish aspect and i liked sort of the ramifications that they depicted that came as a result of these acts which i liked as well um so that generally worked for me um even though i kind of felt like i called it in terms (laughs) of like no that guy's like too perfectly cast not to come back later. <laughs> yes, that's a that's a that's a good point. And that's that's a, an experienced TV viewer's eye yeah. right there. That's a yeah. seri- experienced yeah. procedural viewer. Um yeah. I I it worked for me. I thought it made sense. Uh and I think they did a pretty decent job of not tipping their hand on yes. the, you know, the murder in the Orient Express ending. Um and I which I guess spoilers for one of the most famous twists ever. We did it last week too. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, the and and because if they had downplayed it at the beginning, then that wouldn't have that would have drawn too much attention to it. So I thought that they they handled that pretty well. Um, I think that they also just like there were a couple of notes that didn't work for me. I was I constantly frustrated that the presence of a turd burglar card in someone's wallet was enough reason to think that they were the turd burglar and not that, you know, they had found a card somewhere. Um, yeah. And there was no discussion of that, which was very strange. Um, so there was a little things like that, that that kind of took me out of it. But I thought that in general, the the cases were like that they made for the different people worked well and and were entertaining. The, the structure of the season, I thought, worked well. The reveal of, the, oh, there was a fourth crime. Um, and, and then it was really good. It was really effective, right? Yeah, exactly. It worked really well. And, um, it w- came at the right point of the season and shook things up enough in the right way that, you know, it could really, could really, um, propel another, another several episodes just when they started to lose some steam. So I, I thought that in general, it, this, honestly, this is probably one of the best usages of the episode order <laughs> of Netflix because they tend to be several episodes too long. Um, yeah, and 
I think that the the only other thing is that the end of season reveal of the first, you know, Turd Burglar, I think was a little too similar to the end of the first season. Um, yeah. And that was a little disappointing, but it also made a lot of sense. And having yes. it be um, not someone who was blackmailed, I thought, really worked. Um, but I don't know that they earned that through the performance throughout the season, through Kevin's, the, yeah. the, Travis Tobes' performance as Kevin. I agree. And that, that didn't... So, so that made that less satisfying than it should have been. I think we should mm-hmm. have seen more guilt. We should have seen more squirreliness. That didn't just feel like he's weird. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, any other final thoughts about uh, about the season? Um, I really, really think I need a SoundCloud for the Horsehead Collective. Mm-hmm. I actually <laughs> thought that was a problem. We needed to hear their music and hear how yeah. it really wasn't that good. Yeah, I, I really needed that, I think. Um, uh, but yeah, that was, that was about it. Um, I can't really think of anything else. Um, yeah. yeah. Hot janitor was hot, though. Hot janitor <laughs> was hot. <laughs> that was such a perfect high school thing, too, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was, was really fun. Yeah, that was fun. Um, well, th- those are our thoughts on American Vandal Season 2. And let us know what you thought of this season. Um, and let us know what Taylor Durden should be in next because she's very good and I want to see her be in lots of things. Um, you know, and if they could just add the whole cast of Sweet Vicious pop up in the rest in TV for the next several years, I would be very happy about that. Um, a few yep. show notes here at the end of our, of our podcast, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start a conversation there. You can find us in iTunes with an M4A chapter feed and an MP3 unchapter feed. And we're also up in Stitcher. Um, we'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. It helps people find the show and lets us know that you're listening. What? You're listening? That's crazy. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel R. K. Thank you very much, Kay. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. And we'll be back next week. Another episode of the Televerse. <laughs>